0: time for governance by grace welcome to gracearchy with jim babka well people we're back and 2024 is with us what a year this will be the year of abundance according to those people who believe in such things and uh, that would include me because i need abundance right now we all deserve a little more of that But we've started out with something else. We've started out with a huge opportunity or two for grace. And if you trust us to to stay with us here for about 40 minutes, we're gonna discuss something that's really important right now in America, uh, intersectionality. And we're gonna do that in the context of the president of Harvard University who has resigned. Uh, Claudine Gay is no longer the president of Harvard because that gives us an object example of uh, a way to illustrate Jim's incredible talents here in this area, and I will say this now, having worked with Jim on this podcast for a while, you can hear a lot of regime media stuff out there because it sells. But the only place you will get the insights that come from the middle road, almost between those two extremes is here on Grace Harkey. And I can say that with confidence because Jim has for the couple of years now that we've been doing this, been able to come up with the grace point that is missing. In the middle of the conflict, he's done that over and over again. He's going to do it again today, and so let's get into it, uh, everybody. Here's Jim.
1: <laughs> well, I, I got to live up to that now, I guess. Um, so, Bill, I, I just we, you start off with Claudine Gay, and we actually maybe should back up a bit and talk about how we even got to that whole situation.
0: Yeah, I think um, we have to because this involves anti-Semitism. since October 7th, we've got Hamas versus Israel. There's just so much that's that's led to this pressure pressure point right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it starts off with October 7th, right? It does. And and we in the United States, this is an unusual thing. I mean, usually we reserve remembering dates for stuff that happens directly to us, but this has happened to a foreign nation across the water. And uh We're talking about the Hamas-inspired attack, the Hamas-led, the Hamas-coordinated, the Hamas-funded attack on the nation of Israel, uh, targeted in significant part at civilians. Yes. And we want to be clear up front, regardless of what you hear in the rest of this episode, that was wrong, Uh, that was not good, that is not approved of. Uh, We oppose what happened there. And I ha- you have to say that because you're, we're going to come in and talk about grace. So it means that you have to be listening to all sides, and that would even include Hamas. Uh, you would have to be listening to everybody. You 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 learn not only to part of loving your enemy is is I think it maybe even it starts with listening to them. Yeah, hearing what they hearing what's on their heart. Right now. Um, We had something that happened that I find disturbing That now uh, that follows the attack, and that was here in our own national dialogue, Uh, people who are Zionist. Now, Zionist simply means, especially for our purposes here, that you believe that Israel should be a place or a homeland for the Jewish people, that they should have a place that they can call home base and because historically they have been a marginalized oppressed and even destroyed um uh nationality uh faith i mean like whatever you however you want to define it here people they've For been a destroyed of years right right this is not a new situation they've re, they've suffered this again and again and again and they're resilient and they are coherent they have a a central structure to who to to their to their tribe and they come to uh they, they they pick a place like Israel and have this spot that they can say okay with if we're if we're, things get bad where we are in our place in the world we'll go there and and if you know people who are Jewish you find out that they're keenly aware of the fact that they are there's almost a sense of being strangers in every land that they're in yeah the diaspora is pretty profound yeah it's a real thing. And they notice like when things are getting a little bit shaky and they're very, very sensitive to it. Exactly. And so this is, this is the place that they have set aside uh, to deal with that. But here's the part where it gets tricky. And, and I think not good Uh, goes anti-liberal and, and by liberal, I mean, free open individual. And that is that if you did any less than one hundred percent fealty to Israel's side in this particular dispute—that is, the October, the events of October seventh—and in the weeks and followed as to how Israel was going to handle that, any questioning of that turned into anti-Semitism. Yes, anti-Semitism is kind of the root description of the problem that the that the Jewish people have experienced around the planet all this time. I mean, even if you go into uh, um, the, the World War II nation that oppressed them. I'm going to avoid using certain words because of Al Gore's rhythm. Right? Smart, smart move. <clears throat> that if you go into those places, you uh, or in those times in history, even those places, it's anti-Semitism that is at the root of the, the experiences, the negative experiences, the destructive, deadly experiences that the Jewish people felt.
0: You know, I I couldn't agree with you more, but I want to I want to draw a line here because anti-Semitism is concentration camps and genocide. For me, that's anti-Semitism. Questioning what Israel is doing is not anti-Semitic. And that's the point that I want to make. There's
1: right? it, there's a there's a difference between saying, you know, the things that you're doing right now, Bill, as my friend, you know, dear friend, love you, but you know, I'm noticing you're doing something right now. I can say that and still very much mean, in fact, I might even be motivated to, uh, by love to tell you where you're in the wrong or where right. I disagree with you. And That's not anti-billism. No, that's, that's exactly great. right. That's great. And, and so, you know, iron sharpens iron sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that allies have more pull with each other than enemies do with people. Okay, what I mean by that is there's usually some kind of expectation that the bad guys would stop being bad, then everything would be good. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay? And it's too simple. It's not how the world works. And it turns out that the that in a lot of cases, the bad guys aren't the only ones being bad. And in fact, if you talk to them, you would find out that they have justifications for everything that they're doing that are, se- in many cases, seemingly noble-sounding. Sure. Right. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with using, for example, your religious beliefs
0: to justify what you do. Now, if it breaks things and hurts people, you will be completely. counseled, yep. right? Yep. But your religious beliefs are fundamental to who you are, and, and we shouldn't have to question your religious beliefs uh, when we question your behavior unless it's necessary
1: to prevent harm. Okay, so I'm just, to put it completely on the record here, attack on October 7th wrong but that doesn't mean that necessarily the way that Israel responded after is also right. Yes. Like so we should be able to have be mature adults and have that conversation. Now, unfortunately, when you when it becomes a situation where you're, you know, not only are you again against us because you weren't 100 percent for us, but we're going to call you, we're going to label you an ugly pejorative. You are now an anti-Semite. You are yeah, basically sweep a me on the rug, the same rug as all the Nazis. No, thank you then what ends up happening is that there's a coarsening in the conversation that occurs on both sides. They dig their heels in deeper and you start to, and and the ugliest rhetoric is what rises to the top, not the place where people are trying to meet and convene and have a real conversation with one another. Right. Because
0: then it becomes about selling the media's latest advertising pitch and not about the solution.
1: Okay. So into this maelstrom, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik had university presidents sitting in front of her. And I, 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 it, it's, there is an opportunism that's occurring here on the part of the Republicans. It's going to be a sub-theme through everything that we're going to discuss today. Politics itself is a conflict machine. Or, let's be more precise, politics is nothing but a conflict machine. It is designed to create a situation where sides, you know, uh, gather into tribes, they separate, uh, you know, and as the argument intensifies, they become less concerned about the actual issue that maybe divided them in the first place, and much more about seeing the other side lose. And here's the key thing in a conflict machine— Coercion is going to be applied. We're going to get our way as long as we have the power, and we're going to enjoy tasting the delicious tears of our opponents. In politics, in the conflict machine, there always has to be losers. Often there are, there may be some winners, but it's not required. What's required is that somebody has to lose. It has to come at the expense of somebody. So our our way forward is because somebody lost the battle,
0: not because the right idea won the way.
1: Yes and, and and there's no room for consensus and continuing dialogue it's about beating or defeating my opponents so when stefanic has these progressive woke university presidents of of elite institutions in front of her and you have a right-wing populist movement that is largely in agreement that they are supportive of israel she has an opportunity to strike hard and divide the party And that's what this is about. The Democrats are divided. So, of course, Republicans are going to exploit that division. It's as old as warfare. Divide and conquer. Right. So that's what's going on here. I want to be very clear that the questions that Elise Stefanik asks are about politics. And they were about scoring
0: points. Yeah, they had nothing to do with policy or what's the right thing.
1: They were all about. Um, exploiting the division that exists. I'm not letting off the people who are sitting on the panel. We'll come to them a bit later. Yes, we will. But where I want to go now is that Elise Stefanik and others of her ilk were just very recently. Um, let's say, let's go back to pre-October 7. Let's go to September of 2023. I know this is a long time ago. It might be hard for you to remember. Yeah, computer but, time, it's decades. But it's only yes. really four months. Concerns about cancel culture were prominent, and we were getting stories daily, almost dropping of government's role in censorship. And those were at the top of the of of, of the feeds I was reading. Well, we we
0: ourselves were part of that too. We got caught up in the uh, in the fervor,
1: and one of our shows got censored. Right. And we're going to say have a whole lot more to say about this going forward, because these First Amendment rights that we have, and this First Amendment spirit that we have... See, I'm not one of these guys that thinks that it stops at an amendment, and it's just about the government, or it's just about politics. Grace, the ability to have grace, the ability to understand your opponents, your enemies, the ability to steel man all of them, starts with listening, and... That means we have to have a robust free speech, free press, free association, right to petition uh, for redress of grievances. All of those things have to exist. Freedom of religion, all of it has to exist. It's necessary that it not just exist in uh, some narrow legal confine, but that it it, it be dominant and robust and it be a spirit of the american people and it should be a spirit everywhere but we're here talking mostly to americans in this show uh, i am an american you're an american i'm saying that th- this is a unique birthright we have here and rather than try to narrow it down to the technicalities we should be trying to expand it to its robust spirit it's it's crazy to me that when
0: anyone takes a position on anything they so rarely think of that position's effect on the other guy. You know, it's like, it's all about what I want. What me, me, me first. Yep. And you, Jim, love you. But you know what? If you're not on the page with me, that's too bad. And they'll usually argue that the stakes are
1: too high, right? In this case, the stakes are are too high. The stakes are too high. And it's almost never true. Um, And what I mean by that is... The things that you think or you're concerned about today are easily brushed under the rug tomorrow. They're forgotten about. Everybody's yep. moved on. Yep. So, uh, there was supposed to be uh, in 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 the the subculture I was operating in in the late aughts. Uh, so I'm going back uh, sixteen so or so years ago. Uh, there was a highway that was being built. And it was going to be owned by foreign governments, and it was going to go on top to bottom of the United States, and they were going to do all these bad things with this highway. At the very same time, there was another, uh, uh, in this very same subculture or adjacent one, well, not actually mine, but an adjacent one, there was talk of FEMA camps being set up and how everyone was going to be rounded into them. And nobody's talking about those things now, not even the people that were talking about it at the time. Yesterday's concerns tend to fade away, and it turns out that we can afford to allow people to speak and even say blasphemous things, and we survive. the, The world doesn't come to an end because somebody spoke blasphemy. But I do think we tend to have more violence in the aggregate, uh... When we silence people, because when people don't have the ability to talk, they start resorting to nastier and nastier and more vindictive means to get their points across.
0: So are are you suggesting that October 7th is
1: the result of that? No, that, that situation, we have not done any episodes on this because it's infinitely more complicated than that. I, okay. And I agree with you. I just want to be
0: clear about that because, you know, cancel culture is something that's close to home and we all can see it's that. It's right here.
1: It's right here. Yeah. But I, I bring up cancel culture for a very specific reason, uh, because we talk about grace here. And so I want to I address two issues at this juncture. First, the job of being graceful is the hard job. The job of being the more noble in this particular situation is the heavy lifting work. And you're on the high ground. So if you're, you know, we're playing king of the mountain and you're up on the hill and I'm below, it's a lot easier for me to pull you down than for you to pull me up. Yeah. It's an imbalance right there. There's an imbalance in in terms of like, okay, so if you take the position that is the higher ground position, if you take a position that is moral and good and just, you're being held to a moral and good and just and very exacting standard in the process. It's flat-out more difficult to do it. Oh, it's more difficult, and it doesn't sell. Exactly. So you have to be willing to endure all of that. You have to have the strength of character and purpose. And for me, it involves a relationship with Jesus Christ that helps me be there. Yeah, hang on. And I don't succeed. I I fall off the hill, okay? But I want to get right back up to the top as quickly as possible. That's my goal. And I'm suggesting that if you take this route, you can't take every single crisis that comes down the pike and be like, well, this time it's different. Well, this time it's different. Well, this time it's different. And keep doing the same things over and over again and ever, ever expecting it to get better. The perspective of higher ground and evolves a long-term arc. You have to be thinking long-term. And again, for me, uh, because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe that that's literally an eternal arc. It's an arc that that, uh, existed well before I was born and will continue to go right by after I'm gone. And so, uh, it's not about today's results for me, and it's not about overcoming today's enemy for me. It's about whether or not we're making progress towards the goal, uh, which is to get to peace, to get to harmony, to get to prosperity, to allow other people to pursue their own happiness. And and make no mis- mistake here, because
0: uh, one of the things that was so disappointing about Jesus Christ for the Jews back in his day was that he was not the big ultimate Savior. He was going to come along and, you know,
1: detonate Crushed everything,
0: yep. right, and Bring bring a Jewish uh, nation back together. That was not his point. His point was you do this one at a time, one by one. You yes. do it one glass eliminated at a time, if I can use our analogy. And you rule by serving. And you rule by serving, and not from the top down, but from the bottom, sideways, basically. Yeah. And that eventually changes the top, but you're not concerned
1: as much with changing the top as you are with the guy next door, right? Right. And so this is real. I like this, this is real bottom up change. People talk about this kind of idea all the time, but it it involves a process of of listening, understanding, attempting to steel man your opponent. So surrendering the high ground, right? Um. It it's it's it also involves. Uh, this is the hard one, (laughs) not becoming what you hate and not becoming part of the problem. So if a fight's going on and there's a way to resolve the fight, but you instead in a moment of ego, rage, uh, fear, uh, profound concern, are the next person to throw a rock the next person to throw a punch if you jump into something that could be resolved you have escalated the violence you become part of the par- part of the problem part of the harm sure and and, and 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 if even if that helps you
0: sell your book or whatever it is you're peddling because you got fit your 15 minutes of fame it doesn't mean you're
1: right so every one of these situations every single one of the conflicts you can think of involve some moment of someone Stopping. Now you could say, oh, you're you're, you're darn right he's gonna stop because I'm gonna beat him into a pulp and he's not gonna want to fight anymore. But that, that doesn't actually always work either, because there's lingering resentments and there's bystanders. So, you know, I, I took a concealed carry course uh more than a decade ago, almost, you know, geez, close to 15 years ago now. It is 15, 16, it'll be 16 in April that I've had been doing this and the course was basically carry your weapon, but don't ever pull it out because as soon as you do, you're going to be judged by 12. So there's a phrase that the sec- the concealed carry community has. I would rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. The stakes literally need to be that high Because you will be judged by 12, but you're going to be judged by somebody else even worse. Everybody's got a mama. Everybody's got family. Everybody's got bystanders who care about them. You might not understand how anybody could like that jerk, but somebody does. And even when that jerk does something really jerky, right? Right. They still like, well, you know, he came in the house and he was breaking everything up and he was was attacking my son and beating my son to a pulp and I shot him in the head. And people go, did you really have to shoot him? That's what his mom will say. You didn't need to do that. You could have talked to him. He's my boy. He was always so sweet, right? He was so good. He was virtuous. Like you're going to see pictures of him when he was eight and he was bright and smiley and innocent. Because people care about him, too. So the idea that you're going to be able to beat somebody to the ground, yeah, you might knock the fight out of them. I, you, I'll i grant that. But you're asking for future trouble. And I, it just isn't the best way to do things. Long term. Well, Today, you might get away with something. Long term? No.
0: I wish that we could look back on history and say that there's proof in the pudding somewhere. And
1: I believe, Jim, that there is. Oh, there's, there's proof of the pudding that occurs all the time. All the time there's people that choose peace and, and over violence. There's people that do this all the time. But in spite of those people who are not nameless, faceless,
0: they are actual people that you can name.
1: Yeah, well, let me people, give you a very common you know, example, because we like to honor him, but the only reason that we bother honoring him is because he's dead. I want to be clear about this. Because at the time that he was alive, many of the people who will now invoke his name would not have been on his side. And that's Martin Luther King Jr. Yep. So that's our famous American example of going out there and saying, uh, he, he called it nonviolence. He would literally go into the teeth of the violence, have it carried out on him. He would train others to do the same thing. They would have it carried out on them. And through that, they achieved social change. Uh, this is, there's, stand there's, there's on a, like, gandhi's shoulders he stood on gandhi's shoulders who stood no. on tolstoy's who stood on the new testament he read the beatitudes there you go all of this so i i don't want to contribute to the problem i don't want to enter and pick a side i don't want to pick elise least side in this that's not what i want to do I don't want to. I, I I understand that there was political opportunism here, and now everybody's getting scared. I can't believe what's going on on the campus. Did you hear about these these incidents? And you know they should have done whatever. And and like now you're gonna pick a side. There you go. Now you're part right. of the fray. Right. You're not going to bring harmony and
0: peace to this situation. So walk us through this partisan thing on intersectionality and and
1: set it up for the grace points we want to make here. Okay. So we did, we've already laid out that this was a Republican exploitation, Democratic division. Right. And Stefanik is savvy. I mean, the way she did, the question that she asked, the way she phrased it was brilliant. Because it put these, these university presidents on a spot, on the spot. Yeah, they had to take a, they had to take a position, they couldn't equivocate on this one. They couldn't, and they tried. And in fact, the fact that they all gave roughly the same answer, the answer was incompl- was unsatisfying. Just, just objectively speaking, I don't care which side of this thing you're on, even of the people who think that they have been treated unjustly and can't stand at least Stefanik, even the people there, they, have, they agree that these answers were weak, anemic, generic, uh, lifeless, they didn't show any emotion. They didn't show any compassion. They didn't show any anything. Like they just they had a rehearsed legal answer and it backfired on them in the worst way. But if you think that it backfired on them just because they were emotionalists, you don't understand what their motives were. We've covered Representative Stefanik's motives. Now let's look at them. And their motives were that they are part of a program or a philosophy or a way of thinking that involves a term called intersectionality. Now, you might know this better by its colloquial term; it's the victim Olympics. The victim Olympics is this also critical race theory, or is that related? It is related. Yes, it is related. Uh, it is all part of that postmodern package, basically. And what what's what it means here in this particular case? is that either by quantity or by specific qualities, one group is supposed to be favored over another because of the degree of victimhood or suffering that they have experienced. This is so upside down because we've already covered how the
0: Jewish people as a tribe have been, through no fault of their own, victims of several thousand years worth of violence and diaspora. Yes, yes. And, so and the other people have been through around. lots of
1: other stuff, too. Right. Right. But what we, we should always be trying to do, first off, I think we should always be trying to treat people as individuals as much as we possibly can, not as a member of a group. Right. As much we as we possibly to. can. Okay? And it's we interesting to. to me that where hatred begins to spring up, it's frequently targeted at a group. Yes. Okay? This is a, a common theme. We keep seeing it again and again and again. Okay? And yet, the people in that group are all different. Are there, are there Democrat Jews? Are there Republican Jews? Are there Libertarian Jews? Are there unaffiliated Jews? Are there all kinds of... Are there Jews who uh, who happen to be Christian, Jews who happen to be practicing Judaism, Jews that are you You know, all of the above, right? I mean, we can go on all day. There is just every... There's a diversity within that community that happens to reside in their very individuality. The problem that they ran into here was that they couldn't figure out whether they were supposed to have more sympathy for the Palestinians, in this case, as a group, than they were supposed to have for the Jews as a group. And the, the Israel clearly is the governing power or the ruling authority in the Palestinian region. And there are real issues there, and I'm going to skirt all of those today because that's not the point of our discussion, is to get in all those. But they're aware of all of this, and so where does this rank? Well, it ranks that they believe that the Palestinians are higher on the intersectionality judgment than Jews are, and that's where their sympathies probably lie. However, they knew that that wasn't going to play in front of Congress. They also were concerned about how this might play with funders, so they tried to dance this line down the middle. Now, this intersectionality, I want to say one more thing really important about this. I mean, probably better than anything I've said here in the couple of minutes I've been in it. And that is that, this has, that they have used this to divide up the campuses, and they've run a variety of policies around this thing and not treated people as individuals not judge them for their academic or their extracurriculars maybe as much as some of these other status or standards for putting them in the in, into these into the academy and this has almost become kind of a religious fervor that through which they hold this and so uh, but they recognize that this isn't going to sell in the public in certain situations they needed to, to pretend that they were actually advocates for free speech but they weren't Because we know that in other situations where the code of conduct is violated and somebody is higher up on that intersectionality ladder, that someone who violates it from below gets punished. And this is the thing that the right is pointing out accurately that, wait a minute, these university presidents are playing hypocrites right now because they're trying to pretend that they don't actually believe in Intersectionality for the moment. They believe in some kind of free speech thing. But we all know that if it were anything else, if it were, for example, the trans issue, if it were trans people we were speaking about, they would not have equivocated in the answers that they gave, not even for a moment. And they would not have equivocated in how they were handling it on campus even before they came in that room. But they were equivocating here. This is a big exposure moment. And a number of donors said, We don't want to fund this anymore. Yeah. And so all these university presidents have a reputational job that involves, in part, securing grants and large contributions to the institutions that they're managing. If they can't fundraise, they don't have the job for long folks. You might think of a university president as kind of the grand pooba of of academia, right? They're 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 the teacher of teachers and teaching at all. What they're doing is raising money and doing PR for the yep. organization. And they're in competition
0: both, with all their peers
1: who are doing the same thing for their institutions. On both scores they're failing here because a lot of the funders of an organization or an institution like Harvard are Jewish. And one of them. So let's go, let's let's talk about Claudine Gay because Claudine Gay ends up stepping down, needing to step down.
0: Former president of Harvard um, stepped down, has been retained at her same salary as a professor.
1: Still working there. Yeah. But she did step down from this position. She's no longer president. And, and, the, and there are people on the left that are making a point of trying to miss the point here and saying, well, they go right back to the intersectionality play and say she's been let go because of her race. Right. Or because she was plagiarist. Just whatever excuse they have. We're going to get to plagiarism to a second. And we will get to that's, plagiarism. Probably that's, that's, another episode. We've got it. In fact, we've got to say a lot about plagiarism in, to come. But I, they, they initially wanted to take her down because of this, because of her bad answer. And she basically refused to resign. She dug her heels in and said, I ain't going anywhere. Yep. There was another member of that panel that resigned almost immediately, but she did not. But the funding was starting to evaporate, and there was no way that the board of trustees was going to be able to live with that. And of course, they, recognizing that there's the intersectionality Olympics at play, do not want to fire an African-American woman. So as you said, they retain her professorship. Now, one of the Big funders, who was most vocal and has kind of led the charge, is a guy that I had not heard of. I'll be honest, until right. this whole yeah, Nobody knew this on. guy, right? All of a sudden, you know, he is the hot thing on Twitter. Yep. His name is Bill Ackerman, and Bill Ackerman was really put off, really offended by what happened, and he was determined. He had ties to Harvard, and his wife had ties to MIT. And now we've accounted for two of the people that were sitting at that table when Elise Stefanik questioned. And so now he's like, oh, these people got to go. And we got to start finding everybody that's like this and root them out. Now you remember what I said just a few minutes ago as a grace point about becoming part of the problem and surrendering the high ground. This surrendering of the high ground was for most people on the right, just as recently as September is we don't want, we don't want cancel culture. But now when they find out, oh wait. Maybe there's a place for some of our people on the intersectionality ladder, right? They can climb up it. They could play the game, too. They gave up on that. Yep. They gave up on, on whether or not it should be canceled culture. they weren't talking about free speech anymore. Now, someone's going to say to me at this moment, Jim, you're awfully naive. You're awfully naive because these hypocrites have been have erected this system, and all that's happened here is they've been hoisted on their own petard. Hundred percent correct, and deserved. Let's be blunt. They put themselves in this position, and it has been the truth of the left for a very, very long time. That when they erect all these kinds of rules and begin playing these games, it's their own side that they take out when they get power. There is a construct called the useful idiot. I didn't invent the term. I'm not throwing it out there ungraciously. But this this construct says that. Uh, the socialists help pave the way for the communists, and when the communists get control, the first thing they do is imprison, gulag, murder the socialists because that's their real rivals. That's their real right. They sort of purify their movement, and there's this constant: I'm more pure than you in recognizing and adhering to all the rules on this intersectionality ladder. I know how to play the game better than you, and I can keep finding ways to marginalize out my opponents. And in terms of people deserving to get the comeuppance that she apparently got uh, here, being removed as university president or having being forced, basically, to step down, Claudine Gay has taken out people and played this game. She's not innocent. She's not blameless in all this. So you know what? I'm not naive. I see all of this, and maybe... I see it even better than you do, but I don't want to sully myself by playing her game and being just as bad as she is. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to say, well, like what, it's whataboutism. It's a form of whataboutism,
0: right? I think so
1: because hmm. when they did not initially get, weren't successful removing her, they turned to plagiarism. And he helped lead a charge on the issue of plagiarism. They found that Claudine Gay had plagiarized, and significantly.
0: Yeah. Not just and I wiki don't, definitions, but the actual content. Yes,
1: yes. And so uh, we're not going to get into plagiarism today because of time and because it's it's an issue all to its own. Yeah. And Bill Ackerman wrote an incredibly long tweet elaborating on this, that most of which, by the way, has some really great insights in it. And we may very soon talk about it, I don't know for sure, but we're thinking, Bill and I have been talking about you know, maybe doing an episode just on Bill Ackerman's tweet, because it's that interesting, it's that compelling. But I want to ask out loud, does Bill Ackerman really care about plagiarism? And I want to suppose no, because previous to Claudine Gay being a political opponent, somebody he wanted to oust, I see no evidence in his record that he was out to do anything about the issue of plagiarism. Did the issue of plagiarism not exist? Was it not a problem? Did it just happen for the very first time with Claudine Gay? Wait. It gets worse. Because his wife, who is a PhD from MIT has a business that's kind of... I don't understand how this works. It's its kind of like maybe a, a research lab or something. They're not a public-facing company. They're not out doing... There's not customers coming into the shop. And they don't have a communication specialist. So the other side, the people who don't like what he did, uh, make alliance with uh, a publication who subsequently does a report... And they quote. They reach out to him on the evening of Shabbat, this past, fr- you know, a recent Friday here, and said, we need you to, uh, your wife is a plagiarist, and we need you to, and her to sit down and go through our 12-page report, and we're going to give you a short amount of time to comment. We are about to press publish. And they reached out to him through his company, which has no business relationship with her company. Uh, they happened to be married. That's They, they thought it might reach, him, reach her that way, right? Or him. And they reached out to her company, which has no public face to it. Like, they're not interacting with the public and doesn't have a communications department. And it did eventually, it did reach them while they were away. And they realized pretty instantly they were not going to be able to respond in the time that was allowed. And so he upped the ante. And decided that he was going to open a plagiarism investigation using the tools of AI. He was going to fund, because he's a billionaire, uh, a a complete plagiarism uh, investigation of MIT. All faculty and staff at MIT and let the chips fall where they may. Everyone was going to have to come out of the cold. And we were going to have to start having a real discussion. Now, as I said, the tweet has a lot of profound thinking in it. And I I would prefer to think that he really cares about this issue but he has explained for himself on twitter x i guess they're calling it now he has explained his motives his what he's doing i'm not i'm just i'm reading what he wrote these are clearly actions of conflict he you know it's always kind of stunning cops come up to a scene after a fight and both guys will point at the other and say he started it and the cops don't believe either one <laughs> and He started a fight, and he's surprised that people want to fight back. They want to punish him, you know, because this is what happens when people start fighting. You see the escalation here? Now, here's my biggest problem with where I think he's going here, because on top of the fact that this was just strictly about escalation, no real reform is going to come out of this. I'm going to predict this now. No real reform is going to come out of this because it's not in their nature. First, he's been a, up until, you know, as recently as September when we were all so young, he was a major funder of Harvard. He believes in the elite establishment higher education system, and and he's very proud to be a part of it, and he's going to continue to fund it. And they were not all these crimes that are just suddenly being exposed and that he's on the other side of. That's all new. That's fresh. But if he can make those individual problems go away, He's not going to try to fix any of these things or make these systems more open or more sincere or more just or more ideologically balanced. He's not going to do any of that. He's actually a Democrat. And here we've got Republicans holding him up all of a sudden. He's the new hero that just arrived on the white horse. Why, he's going to really show those big bad lefties at these elite institutions what fur. And it ain't going to happen, folks. It's naive of you to believe that that's what's going to happen. This is just another controversy of the moment, and you know what else? The odds are very, very, very high that at this time next year, no one will be talking about this. I could be wrong. We'll see where this whole plagiarism thing goes. That could be another issue, but the stuff that we're concerned about with this, uh, with Hamas and, and Israel and how it's being handled on campus and whether university, whatever, that's not going to get changed. It's not going to change by addressing a plagiarism issue. The, the uh, intersectionality, that's not going to be addressed by the plagiarism issue.
0: Yep, yep.
1: So the culture war things start to become, and you're seeing it happen in real time right in front of you, as long as you bring down my enemy, I'll be satisfied. As long as we can make my opposition cry, I will enjoy the taste of their sweet, delicious tears. So as,
0: as a Zionist, what does Bill Ackerman hope to gain from this whole conflict? He's not going to gain anything.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, this does not— do anything to advance the cause that originally invited him to this fight.
0: So are Nothing. you suggesting that he's putting his Zionism aside to have this
1: fight? He's having this fight now because it came at his wife. Because it came at his wife. So, it came okay, at his so wife. honorable, you're defending his wife. Right. Now, but he can cloak it in, in noble terms, and he does a fantastic job of it. I want to stress the things that he's written about the subject. This guy's a smart guy. Yeah. and And <laughs> from my perspective, this is long overdue. True. We need to have this conversation. These are, are it's another conversation to have. Okay. Let's, 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 let's get to a point of uh, where the facts are on the table and then let's do something to reconcile uh, everything. That's, that should be the position that we have consistently. First, we got to put them on and then we got to figure out how to, how to create a regime of forgiveness. But we got to get a little Girardian on repentance, by the way,
0: repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness are not on anybody's, on the top of anybody's, uh, no, desires
1: right now. So, Claudine Gay's gone. And and this is another thing. I just want to say these are Pyrrhic victories. These are Sisyphean in design. Because if you got rid of Claudine Gay, now you've got a new person
0: in that position
1: who's savvy enough to go, well, I just watched her make that mistake. I won't make that mistake. Even if I agree with her. Even if I think what happened to her was unjust. Even if I hate the people that did it to her, I'm going to make sure... I don't make the same mistake. So what we get is a little less information in the discussion going forward because they're going to be more careful next time. They're going to be more cautious in their words. They're not going to be open and sincere. I would prefer a lot more openness and sincerity in positions. And the only way that you get that is through allowing dialogue. But then you would know where people stood and people could begin to figure out how to align themselves in harmonious ways. Oh, I agree with so and so. I want to hang with them, but certain ideas are so bad that people aren't going to align with them. I, I, I <laughs> who wants to be an anti-Semite at this juncture? Yes, I'm aware they're out there. You can go on social media and find them. Okay, I'm I'm not disputing that, but I'm saying that on balance, the people that are successful, that move out into the world and do good work, that 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 are good neighbors and good friends, this that's not them. The people that behave this way are maladjusted, and have a hard time with life. It's not a recipe for success to be that person. To I, this be a is the thing it.
0: that gets that bugs me, Jim, is because we should know by now, right? We've seen yes. how it works. We've watched uh, the the Fuhrer. I guess maybe I can get that one past the plagiarists, or the, by, I'm sorry, by the censors. But we've <laughs> seen how this works in real life. Yes. When people try to become this way. I mean, look at Putin's thought he was having a cakewalk here we are whatever two years later yeah Uh, you can't it's it's not a recipe for success it's It's not 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 a recipe for
1: success yeah it just isn't it just isn't and i am saying free association still reigns too you as an individual bill me as an individual Jim. everyone who's watching us right now can make a choice to say i don't want to associate with these people and this is how ideas begin to to either flourish or die Because almost every idea, almost every concept, almost every business, almost every institution needs to grow in order to survive. It needs to have some expansion to it. Otherwise it doesn't last. You guys go on and they do a podcast and they're going to try to attract some crowd and they're going to be ugly and nasty. And it's possible, by the way, sometimes the unrighteous flourish. Okay. And they, and they manage to get a spike, but it doesn't last. It just—it's not a long-term strategy for it's success. Not sustainable. It's not seven. Not sustainable, sir. And it know. often doesn't even get off the launching pad. Most of the time, it doesn't even get off the launching pad.
0: So and free association no,
1: fixes that problem.
0: Do you think the Ackerman really cares about plagiarism, or is just using it as a tool?
1: Um, I, I don't know yet, but I do know that it started as a tool. It started as a tool right. of war. Right. It's a way to get even with his enemies, get ahead. Of his enemies, and in this case, maybe even protect his wife, because I, I guess twelve of the fifteen things, if I'm understanding correctly, that she's uh, been charged with plagiarism are are not are, are minor word quote attribution, fail to put a quotation mark on type of things, yeah. and and he raises a lot of interesting questions that we can get into. But I think right now this is about the conflict machine, pure and simple. This so is, he he entered the conflict, and now other people are joining him and encouraging him in the fight. They're cheering him on. They're rooting him on. Yeah, you go get him. Uh, but they're just—they're not actually winning anything. They're not changing hearts. They're not changing minds. They're not changing policy one iota. So um, let's pretend just for a minute
0: that you're in Bill Ackerman's shoes. It's Friday night, and you just got an email from the publication we won't name, saying what's going to happen. How do you
1: respond gracefully? Okay. I have to say, I have a hard time imagining myself getting into the situation Bill was in, in the first place. He had picked a fight. All of us do. Jim, all of us do. There's no way that could happen to me. No, I don't think so. I think a lot of people think that... Okay, let me back up just a step on this. I want to 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 be clear. clear. Bill is a donor. And for him to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to support this organization anymore, is completely 100% valid. That's a free association thing. Yep. But that's not what he did. He he actually campaigned to have Claudine Gay removed from the job. He put himself in a prominent position where everybody knew what he was doing, why he was doing it, and he was encouraging other people to do it alongside him and he was this was a pressure campaign. And it emerged in the midst of all of that that she wasn't going to go and that plagiarism was a way of getting it done and he switched tactics. And this is all stuff, by the way, he is admitting. Yeah, he's proud of it. Okay? Because it was about getting a task done, which was to get her punished and her removed. And I'm saying to you, that action, I don't, you know, I'm not a fan, for example, of impeachment. I think it's a pointless exercise in a lot of ways. And I'm not a fan of resignations. Like, somebody's like, oh, they can't believe they said X, they should be forced to resign. No, because now we actually know who they are. And every time that they go to advance the next thing or the thing after that, we go, oh, is it because of this bad attitude, right? They've become ineffective. The resignation is, 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 does it really need to happen? So I would have, if I were him and I felt what he felt, which I don't actually know if I agree with what he was, his, his position on this either. But if I would have felt what he felt—that I could no longer support this organization because it's taken this position—then I would stop giving it money. Simple. Period. Full stop. Done. So it would never have escalated. Yes.
0: Now, and and, and so I got to tell you, there's one thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. You, you, I th- I think you you're on the same place. But just to clarify, so you would have stopped this at with at pulling your funding. Yes. And let it stop. And let it sit there.
1: Yes. And, and I can say th- they may. I can say this because uh, it wasn't the issue wasn't funding, the issue was another type of support that I was involved in a private organization in the past. I won't name names because there's people watching that will know who I'm talking about, potentially, where I just quietly got up and walked away. Like uh like I had stuff at stake and people wanted my position or opinion, and I just got up and walked away. I I, I didn't cause trouble or rancor on the way out the door, I just left. Yeah. Okay. I took myself out because that's valid. I didn't try to stir up a whole bunch of other people to join my cause to punish the people that I disagreed with. I didn't do so it. And can I can you- tell you, in one, uh, this has happened actually a couple of times. And in one of those situations, uh, the chickens came home to roost in a big way uh, about eight years later. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to do anything to make that happen. Character in that case was destiny. It doesn't happen as fast as everybody wants, but it happened.
0: So maybe we ought to roll it back just another level and say, uh, you're Claudine Gay, you're sitting in front of Congress, you get the question. What's the skillful answer? What's the graceful answer?
1: Oh, Claudine Gay should have been emphatic. First off, I do not think they should have all these rules and these codes of conduct. I mean, you know, uh, uh, news to people, uh, sophomores are in college and they behave sophomorically. Okay. Right. And one of the things that's supposed to happen at that age and in that environment is the ability to test ideas and explore things and to try on various shapes and things and find out who you are. And in fact, the institution itself relies on the ability to do that because they want to separate people from their ignorant parents and help them think in a more expansive way than the, than, than mom and dad did. Right. No judgment, people here, but that's true. Right. Yeah. So, they should be able to try on different things and see what feels right, what feels natural, and who they actually are. And, and this is, won't be the end of their story because they will go out into the world and begin living life, and they'll have the concerns that people have in terms of you know the mortgage and the wife and the kids and the whole thing. And when they do that, uh, they will modify and grow up, and they will have opportunities to learn from those experiences. So none of this is permanent necessarily in yeah. fact for mo- almost everybody 98% of the people that go through the process don't stay where they were when they were in college there will be right? a couple uh they will be social sciences majors more than likely <laughs> <laughs> but they will not stay there yeah and and so the idea that we have to be uh histrionic about this too uh feels wrong to me now she is in the intersectionality loop and bubble and she should have said if there is a direct threat to an individual student on our campus, we will deal with it swiftly. And threats, by the way, take a whole new level. This has nothing to do with free speech. I can't go around threatening to punch people in the mouth with my bat that I'm holding in my hand. I can't threaten to bat somebody in the mouth while I'm swinging my bat in my hand. I can't do that. That's assault. So she could have been clearer about what it is that they can do or wouldn't do. All of them could have been, but they weren't, they were rehearsed and careful because they knew that they wanted to keep the intersectional crowd back home satisfied with their answers too. They were playing politics at that moment and politics gets you in trouble. Yep. Now I'll say one more thing. One thing about your question about Bill Ackerman and comparing me to him. Oh boy. You know, it'd be nice to be a billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But, But, uh, you know, with big, uh, with big, fun big bank accounts comes big responsibilities i guess yes
0: yes and he's he's swinging his big responsibility around right now like he can make everybody conform
1: to the, his way and i want to be clear before we go that it may be that the issue that he's raising is exactly the right issue that needs to be raised at the right time the means by which it began to occur i may not agree with but it might be that this is this investigation is exactly what academia needs
0: and we it's may get into this in
1: a future episode. <laughs> it's we're, a great we're talking use for about
0: AI, that. right? You know, to yes. have AI go out there and 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 do this. But that, yeah. that that's the whole conversation. That's a great conversation. We've got to have that.
1: Right? And and it might be that the way to have that conversation is actually literally his tweet because it's just it's really masterful.
0: Oh, it's it's beautiful, and and you know it's going to be remembered. Yep. As a as a moment of conversation that will be significant.
1: Yeah, particularly if it actually happens and consequences accrue. So S- so. Um, the overall grace, uh, the overarching grace point here, Jim. I want people to think long term. I want people to think about whether or not they're contributing to the problem. I would prefer, and I think about this all the time, that uh, s- since we've done this show, it's kind of had a profound effect on me. I don't know if that I was as cognizant of this stuff before we started talking about it, but you you begin extolling the virtue of a given idea, you find that you have to live it, and I don't want to surrender the high ground. I want to be somebody that's contributing to the peace at all times. But I also understand that if I don't, that if we keep going down this path as a people, things get more abrasive, more caustic, more violent, more dangerous. It escalates. So I would prefer to be a de-escalator. And what I fail to see on all sides leading up to Claudine Gay's release, and I do mean all sides, that have got into this pitched fight, is that they are more interested in escalating and, and defeating their enemies than they are in actually changing the policies that they originally professed to care about.